Video analysis? In my day, that was just called a good old bollocking. This is Getting Stuck In, a sports podcast brought to you by Daniel McFarlane, interviewing ex-current and aspiring sports professionals within their field and gaining insight into their lives. Have some of that then. Alright, this is Getting Stuck In. I'm buzzing to be joined by... The second best looking man I've ever had on the show. <laughs> Do you know who the first is? Uh, yourself. Matt Crow. Matt Crow. Oh, well, I'm in good company then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll get straight into it, Shells. When did football start for you? Um, I remember, obviously, when I was very young, sort of started school, and like any young kid, met a few friends at school, and yeah, I was probably about six or seven, and yeah, joined my local football team down in Canterbury District, uh, playing for Roselands, and yeah, played there till I was about 10 years old, and then we moved to Camden, and then started playing for Camden Tigers, so yeah, the early days were, yeah, in and around suburban Sydney, and then sort of out to rural Camden and stuff like that, where we, yeah, sort of where it really took off for me there. Yeah. So did you kick a ball every day, ever seen without a ball, or were you not like that? No, definitely. Uh, like any family back then, in the growing up in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that, three brothers, um, just, yeah, it's always a ball, a bat, playing cricket, soccer, footy, just whatever we could do, get around, get on our bikes and stuff. But yeah, no, always had a, always kicking the ball around at a young age, for sure. Yeah, great. So when did it start to come a little bit more serious where it wasn't just messing about in the back garden where you wanted to maybe kick on a bit from it? Again, like anything, sort of started off in the Metro League. Um, had the opportunity um, through a guy that uh, my parents knew that was involved in rep football down in MacArthur area. Uh, and then, yeah, got invited to a trial in the under-11s, uh, which I was successful in. At MacArthur. Uh, at MacArthur. Yeah. So, yeah, played in the Metro 11s and 12s, like in the old uh, Metropolitan Leagues. And then, obviously, that transferred into under-13s youth league and at MacArthur as well. So sort of just followed the pathway down in Campbelltown. So what was the type of the coaches you had there? Uh, back then, obviously, uh, very, probably, we were sort of classed as a country area, a country region. So we sort of, yeah, coaching was uh, was good, but it was pretty much uh, amateurish back then uh, for us, for and at our club. So we just, uh, yeah, we did our best and, did a lot of the, you know, playing in the street backyard and that, which obviously honed our skills and our, mm-hmm. our, the way we wanted to play the game. And that's where we probably learnt most of our tricks yep. and stuff. Rather, so, Yeah, mentioned about facilities and stuff. Was that a big thing for you back then? Or, because there's a lot of stuff getting now, is this the best way for it or whatever? I can't imagine there'd be brand new Astros in MacArthur at that time, no? No, definitely not. It was all grass and, uh, you know, see 40 degree days and stuff going back up down there. So it was never really um, a little bit of rain, but... Even back then, we just try. I can't ever remember training being cancelled too often or match days being uh, called off due to rain and stuff. We just kept playing and in the old days, and obviously now it's just a little bit more political correct with councils and different things. So uh, doing the right thing and looking after grounds and yeah. But back then it was just yeah, open slather every day yourself. Yeah, get in there and yeah, a few slides and stuff when you're scoring goals just make the pitches a bit worse. So. Yeah, brilliant. So uh, after Macarthur, where to next? Uh, well, obviously went through and obviously had the opportunity to go all the way through to senior football at MacArthur, which was uh, obviously as a junior player coming through and obviously followed the pathway all the way uh, to the first team. And then, yeah, I think it was in 2004, we won the league uh, at MacArthur, which yep. in the old Super League. One player of the year too, didn't you? Uh, that was a couple of years later, that was up yep. on the coast. So, oh, yeah, we'll get yeah, to that. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, down there, and then yeah, 2005 moved to um, had the opportunity to move on uh, for a number of reasons, but yeah, got went and played for Wollongong yeah. uh, for two years under uh, Glenn Fontana. So that was um, a couple of good years down there as well, playing in the MPL one, as it's known now. Yeah, and um, under the, down there, and then obviously moved up the Central Coast. Yeah, was that a big difference jumping over to Wollongong from MacArthur? Obviously, you mentioned you'd been there right through from juniors. Was that a big Big difference? Did you expect it to be tough when you moved? Uh, it was always hard because you're not knowing sort of what's going to happen, whether you're going to play, how much you're going to play. Um, it was just knuckling down. I was about 21, 22 at the time, so I was still pretty pretty keen to be, and very enthusiastic about obviously becoming a better player. And obviously, finally gave me that opportunity. Uh, the difference between the two clubs, obviously, MacArthur was probably more uh, Australian English sort of background with coaches and and players where in Wollongong was a Macedonian based club um, so the difference in the cultures and all that was you know a different side that I hadn't had a lot to do with uh, during my junior years other than playing against cl- you know different clubs of different ethnicity but yeah being involved and being in the change room with all the different personalities and Wollongong obviously being a very very multicultural sort of um, landscape especially in the football land it was yeah, we had some challenges down there, but obviously a lot of good times and obviously still got a lot of good friends today. So. Yeah, so with MacArthur, we'll go back there, what are, what are some of the best times you can look at? Any stories stick out, or any coaches stick out as being especially interesting or anything like that? Uh, well, again, it was, yeah, the coachings went through a number of coaches and we had obviously the, uh, when I first came into senior football and obviously that's where uh, the nickname came from Shirls and stuff. The coach. Talking through it. Yeah, we had a guy coaching, Ray Biles, his name was. He was a bit of a very old fashioned coach and old school, was pretty, pretty not a nasty character, but very intense and aggressive towards players and stuff. And he thought I was a bit soft at the time, and I had my long hair and my curls, and thought I played a bit wussy at the time. So he, yeah, got Shirl the girl and sort of thing, and it sort of just <laughs> stuck. and yeah, the transition from juniors to seniors, it sort of, yeah, it's been with me ever since. So, yeah, that's yeah, probably, right. yeah, it's pretty good. So when you said you had a pretty intense coach, aggressive coach, did you like that at the time or were you just like, just uh, a bit? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was different because obviously coming out of juniors where it was a little bit nice and, and different things and trying to keep everyone happy, the coaches and that back then. And yeah, it wasn't really what I was used to. So I found the transition, obviously, as well as trying to transition into senior football um, and then obviously, you know, dealing with the coach and the way he was and stuff. But... Yeah, it probably holds me in good stead now. I'll probably learn a few things and probably actually use them still in my coaching now. So, you reckon? <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, no, it's good. He was he was a great guy, and obviously still you know keeping contact with him today. So, so yeah. any time stick out where he just went right through you in the change room? Pretty much every week. Every week. Every week. Yeah, yeah. Anything no, in particular, or just oh, just yeah, just as I said, just thought I was too soft and. So it was, it was probably time to knuckle down and harden up a little bit. So getting in there and senior football, but you know we had a great experienced group as, at the time as well. So we had lots of players to help out and sort of control the dressing room. We had some big personalities in the change room at the time. And anyone anyone know any names? Uh, Ian Willerspoon, um, Stevie Paul, Seb Dish, um, uh, Richie Salark, Ray Carney. Obviously, um, yeah. So those type of characters, and that had been big players in Australian football and New South Wales football throughout their time and they were at the end sort of winding down at MacArthur and yeah so we had a yeah we had a really good few years there and obviously I was coming through as a young 17, 18 year old kid and mm-hmm. yeah they taught me a lot so yeah, so were they good with you when you came in or were they really good really good intense? yeah really good because obviously I had you know they they saw some stuff in me that obviously with my pace and 
as I said, a little bit of skill and could finish and score a few goals. So I remember scoring on my debut and um, pretty much from that on, it was, yeah, the rest was history sort of thing. It was sort of one or go, usually goes one or two ways, doesn't it? You know, you sort of, you come into senior football, the transition's hard enough. And yeah, I said, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity early and um, yeah, scored on debut, the winner. Yeah. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was a good feeling. And obviously, yeah, sort of kick-started my career in sort of, MPL then. So you mentioned your coach there when you when you went and done stuff like that, scored on your debut, stuff like that. Would he come and tell you that's brilliant, or would he just kind of leave you to the to the senior players to tell you that, and he would just step out of it and leave you to yourself? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so they did back then. I mean, it's probably a little bit the same now at times and stuff. Everyone's different the way they want to work. But yeah, no, there wasn't too many accolades back then. It was just business as usual. Just get on, pat on the back, and see it training and. As I said, it was the you know the change room was the one where you get all the senior players coming around and you know well done, but it's only the start and yeah, yeah. start of the journey. You just got to keep pushing through and keep working hard and you know don't get carried away because it's, you know you have your highs and your lows and you know whether it's through you know form, um, injuries, suspensions, different various other things that go along with it. Um, there's always stuff going on at home that you have to try and manage as well. So as a young yeah. player. And, you know, sort of transitioning out of school as well into the yeah. workforce. It's um, yeah, it was yeah, interesting times. Yeah. So you mentioned how your coach thought you were a bit soft. Would he absolutely buzz off you if you fifty fifty someone? Yeah, they like that. They do. I've got to be honest. It's um, <laughs> it's always yeah. You show if you show a bit of aggression and stuff like that. And every now and then I had that in me. Uh, I remember one day in a trial game, I just got sick of getting kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked and ended up accidentally on purpose elbowed a bloke and smashed his nose and. Yeah, probably that was obviously, yeah, needed a bit of protection to get off the field that day, but yeah, a few of the other boys and that all sort of got around me and said, wow, we didn't, that looked like it was a turning point and all that was a nasty incident at the time. And yeah, I said, my uncle's scars are probably enough to show that, uh, yeah, I probably owed someone a couple and unfortunately this guy copped it that day. <laughs> Great, so as you mentioned just before, Wollongong, so what was the first impressions when you went there? Um, first impressions down in Wollongong obviously were, as I said, culturally it was different. We had a, obviously a lot of Macedonian boys in the club and obviously there was a few Italians and obviously funny coaching was, um, you know, very technical coach, but, you know, ruthless and uh, we joke about it now as well. He used to like talking about himself when he was playing and he'd always use examples about how good he was, like any coach, I guess. But, um, yeah, the transition early was, was quite difficult. But again, I was probably, when I did go there, I was well known um, to the coaching staff. So it sort of made the transition a little bit easier. But it's like anything, you still got to go and prove yourself. And obviously, you know, they knew that I could play in the, at the level and, you know, cope with the, with the standard of the league. And, yeah, the early days were interesting. I remember first game of the season, we won, scored off the bench, did really well. And, that, and then the next week I got sent off for being stupid and different things. What were you doing to be stupid? I got a, two yellow cards. I came off the bench. Looking back, I probably had the shit because I didn't start, but you know that's obviously like all of us, we want to play. Um, and probably got a bit ahead of myself at the time, and like any young player does. And yeah, came off the bench with about 15, 20 to go at Sutherland, playing at Seymour Shore, and yeah, got a silly yellow card as soon as I pretty much walked on the field, and then yeah, did something, another silly thing, and yeah, so they nearly got my contract torn up straight away in about week three, so yeah, it didn't start that well for me. Um, but again, Fonny let me know in the change room and obviously the before the next game and yeah, called me aside and said, you know, I should cancel your contract and just, you know, throw to the line, so to speak. But yeah, and said he stuck with me, thankfully, and obviously I repaid him 
in spades in the end. So, yep. so you said you were a painting. What were some of the things that stand out as being a really good memory for Tom Wollongong? Oh, well, especially the first year. Um, obviously, 95, we had a obviously very strong side. I think we ended up running second in the league, um, playing blokes like Richard Lloyd, um, Pete Murray. Yeah, Pete Murray, the guitar player. His son Geordie's actually just obviously with the Mariners now as well. So, but he was great. He just come back from Hong Kong. Um, Angelo Petranos, whose boys playing up in Newcastle, Dimi and so on. And um, who else was there? Slacko like Nastesky, they signed from Macedonia. Easy for you to say, mate. Yeah, it was. Yeah, said so it was a really great bunch. So just to get a you know to play in that starting team in that year was amazing. So obviously playing with that caliber of player, yeah, it was sort of really pushed my career. And then obviously. Stayed down there for '96 as well, and we and that had a pretty solid year in '96, and yeah, it was yeah really good two years and great memories, and yeah, still friends with a lot of those guys today as well, which is what it's all about. So, so after the two years, where to next? Uh, I had the opportunity to um, a couple of re- couple of opportunities, obviously to move um, to a couple of different clubs, but uh, I just moved up the Central Coast. Uh, Why did so, you move up the coast? Uh, long story short, sort of got stuck between um, housing and stuff. I was living with my brother and we had some things go on and we had to had to move out pretty quick. And um, mum and dad had a holiday house on the coast at Terrigal, so I sort of ended up, yeah, just living there for a bit and I ended up staying and never went back. And yeah, been here ever since, so that was a good opportunity. Yeah. So I just thought it was time. I knew a few of the boys on the coast at the time. Um, so I just made the, yeah, made a decision to stay here on the coast rather than go back and travel to Sydney and play in there. We obviously had a couple of opportunities to play at Parramatta, Bankstown. Uh, there was one or two others that were interested, but yeah, I think the Central Coast was, um, yeah, obviously happily call it my home now and yeah. had lots of good years here playing on the coast. Great, so talk about me the first season at the coast. How'd you get into the change room? How did it, how did it all fall into place for you? Yeah, well, again, you, you sort of... We had a lot of good players at the time. Obviously, 97, when I first started playing for the Central Coast, we had like a few older statesmen, uh, Dale Eagleton and Andrew Ollier, Mark Drysdale, uh, those type of players. And we had some youngins, Shane Knight, uh, who's back on the coast now doing some things, uh, Damien Brown, Andrew Clark, so a lot of, you know, sort of famous names on the coast. And yep. Yeah, we sort of just came up here and obviously talking to a few of the older boys and that, they obviously knew them from playing against them the previous few years and they said yeah the, the transition again up here on the coast was pretty comfortable because I did know a few of the boys anyway so yeah, um, yeah the change room was good we had a Alan Burke had just taken over the head coaching role on the coast at the time and had a re- pretty good relationship with Berkey he sort of knew who I was and yeah that kick started that and yeah we had a obviously again we had a really good year in 97 with yeah, some good players some of the highlights from the first year uh, obviously, just obviously, we won a lot of football matches, and you know we played some nice football. We had a good cup run, I remember, um, which is always pleasing. So you know you're doing a bit more, you know, game time rather than training and, and different things, which was always players want to play football matches all, as much as they can. So that worked out really well, uh, and just the fact, yeah, I said I think we just missed out on the semis that year, but it was a, I think we ran sixth in the end, but it was a really good year, really good year. Like we said, we won a lot of games, we beat some big some big clubs and yeah obviously the whole obviously playing with Damien and Clarkey um, yeah at the time obviously especially Damien Damien was flying um, obviously went you know did some good things as well but you know to be fair Clarkey you know people people underestimate you know Andrew's ability in football and you know obviously Sean doing some great things now with obviously the Socceroos and obviously at Sydney FC and the Mariners before that so with his fitness stuff and 
his career's taken off from strength to strength. And but yeah, Clarky was a you know very underestimated player. Damien was excellent. Uh, you know, even Craig Thompson, good player. Drysdale, good player. So yeah, we we're fortunate enough to play with some really good players at the time, and we we're well coached by Berkey as well. And you know, Berkey did some good things, and uh, in his time here, it was good. So did you get player of the year first, was it first year or second year? Uh, it was actually third year, 99, yeah, yeah, 99, so we sort so of... I imagine that was a good year for you, what are some of the highlights from that year? Oh, obviously the, you know, players had moved on, you know, Brownie and Clarkie had moved on, Clarkie went to Hong Kong for a little bit, then went uh, to Canberra, Brownie had gone to NSL as well, a few of the older boys had retired, um, so we sort of started transitioning under Alan Burke again with some young players, Stewie Sontag, Brent Demery, Mickey Coates. Um, you know, Nathan Byrne was starting to, you know, do well. Kevy Schneider, obviously myself, Paul Roberts, we just had an opportunity to lead some young boys and, you know, transition uh, the coast. And, you know, 98 was a, sort of the start of that and we had a really good year in 98. And then obviously 99 was, um, yeah, we did really well in regards to, you know, bringing out some and unearthing some talent on the coast. Uh, results weren't always of the uh, highest order, but, yeah, for me personally, just being, you know, I was got to was probably 26, 27 at the time, so it was a pretty good opportunity to obviously, you know, put something back as well into the youngins and help them. And obviously, yeah, from a personal point of view, yeah, winning the gold medal and player of the year in 99 was, yeah, obviously it was a nice personal milestone. It would have been, it's like anything we say as players, you know, you play team sport to, you know, to win trophies and, you know, and, that, and the, the personal accolades come along along the way as well. It's really good, but you don't really play for the individual stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a nice moment, obviously, in my career. And, yeah, look back now and, yeah, I can say I won it. And not many people can, so, yeah, Brilliant. it's good. So you mentioned Alan Burke there. I've had a couple of dealings with him as a coach. I loved him as a guy. How was he as a, as a senior coach? Because I had him when he was a lot younger. So was he, was he ruthless or was he a bit laid back? Uh, a bit of both. Bit of both. He was very. He was an intense sort of guy. You know, he put a lot of work in. You know, his detail was second to none. Um, yeah, he obviously for me it was a. You know, obviously being a senior player in the team, obviously especially year two and three, uh, when all the a lot of the boys had retired or moved on, uh, made. You know, he sort of lent on me a little bit. I guess is probably a fair way to put it. That I was able to, and I'm glad that I was able to. Uh, you know, work with him closely and, and help manage the group in the change room. But yeah, Berkey was technically a very good coach. Uh, you know, it's like anything and people have their opinions on whether people are good first grade or senior coaches or they're good youth coaches or they're both. Uh, but for me personally, I really only worked on Alan as a senior coach and, you know, he, he did wonder, you know a lot of good things for my career and you know, I can't thank him enough. So yeah, yeah. it was good. So any stories stick out from those times where he would just go through someone in the change room? Uh, yeah, there's lots of them. Yeah, Berkey was a bit old school as well, a bit ruthless and stuff like that. So, you know, he was, you know, if, if he had something to say, there was absolutely no doubt. Did you have a, on the receiving end of one? Uh, one or two times, yeah. Like all of them, I was just because I was, you know, senior player doesn't mean we're exempt from and things and that. But it's about, obviously, you know, learning to deal with, you know, the different personalities in the change room and stuff. And, you know, he had some tricky ones, you know, and Bernsey was a bit tough at times and different things, even by his own admission. So... But yeah, I think overall Berkey was, you know, he's pretty calm and collected, but you know, when you're not getting results and stuff and people are looking over your shoulder and you're looking over your own shoulder, it's like, yeah, sometimes it's a bit edgy and stuff. And, you know, it's trying to get that balance right between bringing in youth players and trying to have enough experience in the group to, you know, yeah. to guide players around. But one thing I will say is we had a lot of Central Coast kids in the group and, you know, from that point of view, it was fantastic. You know, we didn't look too far outside the, you know, our hometown on the coast. Yeah. and. You know, that was probably pleasing for me to be able to, you know, be treated as a coastie pretty early on, 
the fact that you know, obviously you know coming from Sydney and moving up and different things. But yeah, no, he he definitely looked after me and obviously looked after a lot of Central Coast kids along the way. So great. So how long did you end up staying on the coast for for that for the coasties? Oh, uh, well, pretty much till I retired. Um, yeah, I didn't never went back to Sydney to play. Obviously, other than for away games. Uh, so we play '97. I think I went to about 2003, and then I had a break, and then came back in 2006 under Ollie Androlia, and played 2007 under John McClafferty, and yeah, in between I had a year or two at Kalani, yep. um, just in the local Premier League. It was sort of funny transition times, that, you know, we were playing in the summer comp and we were allowed to play in the winter, so that was good, so we were getting to play 12 months of the year. And yeah, so yeah, pretty much up until the day I retired, 2007, it was I was at the coast, and right. yeah, it was great times. Yep. So you mentioned John McLafferty. Unfortunately, he's passed now. So what was he like as a coach? Oh uh, yeah, again, yeah, different character. You know, he's probably um, yeah, sad obviously that we, that we lost him a couple of years ago, tragically. Um, but again, was a good mentor for me. Taught me a lot of things. Johnny was a really good man manager. Uh, I wouldn't say he was probably technically the best coach that I've ever had, um, but what he lacked in that sort of regard, he was actually really good on the other side of it. And you know, had the change room buzzing all the time, and you know, everyone was always laughing and had you know pretty jovial. And yeah, we had yeah good times under Johnny Mack. He was a, you know, obviously a great guy, and again, you know, believed in the coast and brought a lot of young kids through. Obviously, Fauzo, Mark Fauzo, and Scotty Jones. Um, Chris Fleming, James Marty brought back to the coast, uh, which was great. So we sort of just, yeah, pretty much playing for the, representing the Central Coast with a whole heap of Central Coast kids and stuff like that, which was really? which was pleasing. And we had some, you know, we had a good year under him as well in 2007. Uh, from memory, we made the semi-finals and yeah, lost a tight one to St George early. So, but yeah, it was good. Yeah, good stuff. So, Eddie, what, if you had to pick through the whole time of the coasties, what are some of the best change room stories from your time playing? Away trips, home trips. Training, anything like that, anything that stick out? Yeah, there's, obviously it's like anything when you're playing and you're in a team environment and in a change room for a long period of time, there's always lots of stories and 100% lots of characters. You know, from the early days with Brownie and Clarkie, you know, Dryzy, Tomo, those type of things, Fitzy, um, you know, just little things. One story I remember, um, pretty sure it was in my first year up here, we were playing uh, Parramatta, which is, was then Melita, uh, just got punted out of the NSL, so they still had a lot of good players and, you know, paying astronomical wages and, you know, they were the favourites. I think they ended up winning the league that year for obvious reasons. And we had a, obviously, a pretty tough away trip down at Parramatta. And, yeah, I'd, I'd started the game and, we, and, that, and, and got taken off with about 15 to go. We'll lead a 1-0 and, we'll, you know, we're playing really well. And then I remember uh, Damien Brown scored the second goal to sort of seal the deal and stuff like that and obviously everyone was pretty jovial and stuff like that and it was when they had the old cage fence up on there at Parramatta and yeah, yeah all the Maltese boys come running down and I'm up on the cage just shaking the hell out of the fence <laughs> and all that and yeah we ended up having to get a bit of a um, escort out of the ground that day and stuff so you know that was one that in the early days and then yeah obviously just you know you know as the years went on and stuff like that with all the young players that sort of came into the squad and it was just yeah we had lots of laughs and trying to educate them a little bit on the you know, the old school stuff. You yeah, know, still you hard on the young ones? Yeah, pretty tough. And, you know, still used to, you know, play a lot of pranks and different things and, you know. You're the best at that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Me and Bernsey probably to a degree. And, what sort of stuff did you do? Uh, just lots of things in the showers and different things. And after <laughs> training on cold nights and different things like that and game days. And, um, yeah, pretty much just 
you know, just trying to spoil them a little bit and, and different things and, you know, making sure that they're always looking over their shoulders and thinking about, too easy yeah, thinking about who's around the corner and what's coming next and all that. But to be fair, they all bought into it really well and stuff like that. And it's had a lot of good times. We still sort of joke about it now when we see each other and stuff. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's quite Brilliant. good. So we've got a couple of questions sent in today. Um, who was the better young player come through, Graham Toot or Geordie Howe? Uh, it's a tough one. Obviously, you had the opportunity to... I was fortunate enough to bring both of them through. Um, I think from memory, too, he got his opportunity first. He was a little bit older than Geordie, I think. I think, I think he said that you were his captain. Uh, I don't know if I made him captain. He might have gave no, him... No, you were the captain when he was playing. Too. Oh, that's right. Yes, I was. I think, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, Tubi definitely came in first and had the opportunity to play with him. Was your first impression uh, of him? One of the funniest guys I've ever got to play with and obviously coach and um, a larrikin, as everyone knows, the great man and... Yeah, sort of that crew, obviously Tupi and Geordie and probably even Louie and Woody and all those, yeah, fellas, I won't bag about too much, but no, they're all, I love them to death and they're all great lads, but yeah, different players, obviously Geordie, defender, Tupi, um, more an attacking midfielder, I know he's dropped back to the back now, but when he sort of was younger and coming through the rep program and stuff, he was more an attacking-minded player and could score the odd goal, and he, one he tells me about Regularly was when we played the Mariners and he scored a cracker when I was coaching. We lost about 20 nil, but it must have been 21 because Toot did score a banger. I think it was the last goal of the night. So he still tells me about that every time I see him. So, but I can remember when Geordie first came through as well. I remember we made gave him his debut. I think we we're playing City Uni at Plume. And I told him he was going to start and we're going to play him at centre back and all that. I told him during the week of training. Yeah, and he obviously was trained accordingly, and yeah, we ended up winning the game. And yeah, he sort of put his body on the line the whole night, and it was probably one of the you know one of the strongest debuts of a young player that I had in my time as a coach. And obviously, coaching still going, but at this point in time, and yeah, Jordy did really well, and I think he ended up winning man of the match that night as well. So two different players, and to say single one's better than the other is probably unfair, but. Yeah, they both brought a lot to the change room and you know, a lot to the team, so it's good. Brilliant. So what's the most satisfying or pleasing aspect of being as an older player and having young players come in? So just being able to mentor them a bit? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, obviously trying to give them advice and stuff. And it's it's like anything, you know, we always think that we know better and um, whether we're 18 or we're 30. And, you know, obviously on the coast, everyone knows each other and the football community is quite, you know, quite strong, but, you know, quite small and everyone knows each other. So the boys are... You know, the boys that have come in as young players and stuff have always, you know, they've always asked for opinions and advice and different things. And, you know, if you give everyone one piece of advice along the way and they take that to their, you know, throughout their careers and if you give them more than that, great. But, you know, some, some don't need it. Some come in and they swim straight away and others sort of, you know, doubt themselves a little bit. And, yeah, so we, you know, try to help them as much as we can. But, yeah, probably the mentorship is probably the biggest one that you can sort of bring any, give any young player and... So why'd you get into coaching? So you wandered down from your playing days, what made you get into coaching? I sort of fell into it a little bit under Alan Burke. He sort of, you know, sort of encouraged me to um, get into it in the early days when I was sort of still playing. And um, it was something that always interested me anyway. So, I, you know, I really enjoyed being part of the, obviously the change room experience. And although it's, you know, it's slightly different experience um, as a coach to a player, because you like to give the players their space and you don't want to invade that too much. but. Yeah, just a fact opportunity, obviously, to put something back into the game, you know, work with young players, um, and yeah, just obviously just stay in that, you know, that general change room environment and stuff like that. That's, I think that's still the, you know, the greatest, the greatest thing you get out of the game is just what you, you know, the friends you meet and the players you, you get to work with and 
get along, you know, get along with the whole your whole time, and you know, your friends with you, see them in the streets, and yeah, as a player, as a as a senior player, um, as a coach now as well, you know, it's 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 sort of hard to explain, but just being around the group all the time, three four days a week, yeah. and yeah, and being able to pass and give something back has has been really good. So that's one of the biggest things that I've enjoyed the most in my coaching. Right. So what was your first proper coaching gig? Um, Apart from just falling into it with Alan Burke, pop up yeah. the train, right, here we go. Yeah, obviously had the opportunity to, obviously being involved in Kalani as well, so obviously yeah, as you get, got a bit older and had a family and started coaching my two boys and stuff at Kalani. And then as I was winding down my, you know, my playing career at Coast and stuff, I remember Mark Boyd at the time uh, asked me if I was interested in getting into coaching uh, with the rep program, as it was known then, the Lightning. So I started coaching uh, the under 12s with obviously a couple of players that are playing for Central Coast United now you know Jack Reagan obviously Alex Arbella was around with the rep, um, with the state title team and different things and then obviously local boys playing in the uh, in the for Kalani Daniel Moffat uh, and there's a heap of others that are just floating around playing locally Cameron Wilkinson uh, for Terrigal Pacey yep. so yeah that was obviously you know great experiences obviously to start with them and I had them for the 12s and the 13s uh, 2008, 2000, 2009 season, and then, no, 2007, 2008 season, and then, yeah, 2009, I got the opportunity to coach the first team, which was, yeah, very exciting, so probably a little bit, wasn't quite ready for it, now. No, I definitely wasn't ready for it, I, I look back now and I think, I probably wasn't, but it was an opportunity that I knew that I wanted to do, and um, obviously, you know, Mark Boyd saw something in me that thought that I could do it, and obviously, I learned on him a lot that year and obviously learned a lot and I started doing my coaching badges and different things and yeah, I was very raw as a coach and you know, it's probably still the biggest thing that I took out of it was, you know, looking back now was probably, you know, I was too emotional. I was probably just still in player mode and hadn't quite transitioned out of that. So I, I used to get caught up in the game um, probably a little bit too much. All sorts of stuff that you do. Yeah, just, you know, get a bit, you know, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd ride the players a little bit too much at times and different things and probably more game day than training. Training was good, I enjoyed the training, but obviously, yeah, just trying to control the emotions on match day and stuff like that was obviously I found uh, quite difficult at the time. And it's something that I've obviously worked on a lot over the years and stuff like that. And I think I'm in a pretty good you know, space with that now. And you know, I've been able to control myself, all my emotions and that on match day, uh, to a point where I'm comfortable, you know, in the technical area and stuff like that. But definitely in the early days, probably 2009, 2010 and stuff like that, especially with the senior team and that might, I think it was just more around, everything was built around my expectation for me as a player and expecting the same out of yeah, the players yeah. and, and different things. But the players were young um, and I understand that, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, do I regret anything that I ever did? I don't regret it, but, it, you know, could I have done things better? 100%. Like, you know, we live and learn and as I said, we try to evolve over the years, which obviously had the opportunity to do that as well. Obviously, talking to different people, different mentors, watching a lot, obviously, and obviously maturing a little bit in the coaching ranks as well, so. Yeah, so was it tough for you to start into coaching? Like, proper when you were doing the first team stuff, you've obviously just finished playing, and then as a player, you just rock up the train and everything's done for you, that's it. But when as a, say you're going to an away game, you're like, right, I've got to actually think you, I can't just turn up and go and play. Yeah, definitely, obviously, that's sort of the hardest bit. You know, there's a lot of you know, people who get, who get into coaching, whether it's at, you know, junior level or senior level and stuff like that, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of detail that goes into it, and. It's like anything, the harder you work, the more you get out of it. So and that's probably one thing over the years that I've learned is, you know, the, you know, as long as you plan properly and put things in place, 
then generally, you know, things will follow. And as long as you trust your process uh, and don't get caught up in trying to fix things too quick, if you just stay with what you believe in, keep working, and you build and build and build, and obviously that's why you use pre-season in, in that regard, so you're not going in raw into round one, and, you know, it's uh, not trying to, you know, do everything and fit everything into one training session. Obviously, that's what, you know, again, pre-season's important, and that's why you need to train, you know, seven, eight, nine-week pre-seasons and stuff like that. So, you know, we're talking blocks, you know, block and a half, two blocks in your pre-season just to, you know, to make sure that everyone's well-equipped and that, and then obviously in the pre-season matches, obviously always helps to, to make sure that you, you that boys are understanding your philosophy and how you want to play and how you want to defend, how you want to attack, how you want to transition, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's important that, yeah, that you, if you do the work, then yeah, nine times out of 10, you'll get the success that you deserve. Yeah, you know? So you said you played with a couple of the boys that you ended up coaching. Was that, was that tough to adjust from being as a, a mate kind of thing to being their coach? So guys like Toops and whatever. Yeah, I think um, for me, it, it probably wasn't because we had a couple of good senior players around the group as well. Um, so yeah, it was pretty comfortable in the end. It was, I, I, didn't have, I didn't find that too much and I understood that my new role as a coach that I wasn't going to be around every moment in the change room or anything like that and I actually gave them their space. Is that uh, tough to do though? Yeah, yeah, I guess it's not really because you're sort of on the field setting up and planning and all that kind of stuff and getting ready for the session so why the boys are getting changed. So yeah, just obviously, you know, the first couple of times obviously you go to walk in and you think, oh no, it's not my place, I'm not there and all that. Then you, as I said, just getting set up and, you know, talking to the assistant coaches and the, and the other coaches because we used to sort of try and do things together with the obviously the 20s and the 18s as well and try and interact all three squads, uh, which I thought was important. Uh, it's something that I liked when I was playing and stuff was having that input and from other coaches and you know someone else to lean on and a different voice from now and then. So I always tried to bring that into my coaching as well, which I thought, well, I think is very important for players and stuff because just because Pete Preston says it one way, someone, you know, another coach might say it's slightly different, the same message. and as long as we're all on the same page with the coaching staff, which you know, I've been fortunate enough in my time with the coaches that I've worked with, um, that we've had that, so it's been good. Yeah, nice. So has there ever been something, what's one of the funniest things you've seen as a coach but not been really able to position to laugh at it? Uh, one of the funniest ones, obviously, we were, I remember we were playing, I think it was in 2011, and we were playing at Pop and Denner against Mount Druitt, um, and we had, we had a really good day out. We ended up winning five mil. And obviously, Nate Byrne was on the bench that day, and you know, we're getting ready to put him on and stuff like that. And, and there's a bit of confusion around the with the referee and different things. And in the end, my manager uh, Brian Rooster Goldsmith and that actually forgot to put Nate on the team sheet. So <laughs> I was getting quite agitated on the sideline. But uh, you know, look back now, it was actually quite a funny moment that we weren't able to get Burnsy on and um, and different things. And everyone who knows Nathan Byrne knows that it was a. Uh, um, it wasn't a great moment for him either. He, he was quite angry and annoyed that he wasn't able to get on the field. And uh, I think it ended up costing Rooster a carton of beer. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we had to try and keep a straight face on the sideline whilst trying not to laugh. So, <laughs> so it's a good one. So, is there any certain times as a coach at halftime you'll just like, have a have a little thought where your arm's going to go and absolutely tear into him for no reason just to get a reaction out of everyone else? Um, look, there's always moments when you're walking from the technical area into the change room and you're thinking and you sort of. You know, one thing, I've had a couple of good mentors as well, you know, so you sort of, you know, that I've been able to bounce ideas off and stuff like that. Well, the early days, obviously, as a coach, when I was working with Johnny Mack and different things, and we'd always, were walking into the change room, we'd always, you know, get a level head about us. And obviously, in the later years, working, you know, recent times with Kenny Shembury and stuff like that, we'd always have a couple of minutes before we address the boys and stuff. 
So not really where we were looking to, you know, really go in and explode um, and different things. But you know, I remember one day we were playing at Plume against Harkawa and we are actually playing pretty well. I think you might have been playing that day and, <laughs> and stuff. And yeah, we're rolling out and, and I said, we're pretty dominant for about 43 minutes and stuff like that. And then uh, one of our players, Nathan Verity, who's a, a great guy, decided to get himself sent off with about 30 seconds ago before half time. Double yellow. Double yellow and that, so it was pretty, um, it was interesting, so. And there was question yeah. marks about what he was doing the night before. Yeah, so we actually, um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, Vesa copped a bit of a serve that day and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, we ended up getting a bit of a touch-up in the second half against Harkawa. They were a good side anyway. They were hard to beat. So, yeah, that was, that was disappointing. But that was one moment that I probably actually did let fly and um, with a few expletives as well and, and different things. And then was able to calm the farm and, yeah, get back in and try to come up with a plan to win the second half. So yeah, it always yeah. makes a great viewing as a player. <laughs> <laughs> certainly does. So what's your favourite cliche saying as a coach? Do you think you've got one? Oh, I've probably got a few. And obviously the boys that I've coached over the years probably, you know, probably come up with a thousand, but probably one of the biggest ones is any fucking chance. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's one with two hands in the air and stuff like that, so yeah, that's probably a big so one. When, when do you say that? Uh, pretty much all the time. And, well, and what happens? In, what in happens? games, you know, players make a mistake or they miss a sitter or something like that, or, you know, the you know, goalkeeper kicks one over the sideline for no reason or, or whatever, is there any chance we can keep the ball in play or we miss a tackle or, you know, there's lots of different reasons when you can use that, but... Yeah, that's probably a big one, or you know, like the standard ones. You know, it's a game of two halves, or all the usual cliches that you know commentators and coaches come up with alike. So, <laughs> so do you think the game's going soft, Shells? The hard-hitting questions. I think it is. Do you think the game's going soft? Uh, it, it's a tough one um, because I think it's the way you know, especially in youth football. Uh, I think it's the way the game's officiated now, and obviously you're starting to move into the professional ranks. In football with the VAR, um, you, you know players have to be really mindful now because of. Think you know, VAR is a good thing. No, nah, I don't like the VAR at all. Yeah. Um, I think a lot yeah, of yeah. you know, you know, proper football people and proper sporting people. I'm sure it's the same in rugby league and AFL and different things. But obviously, seeing it in our game, I think it's taken the emotional bit out of the game. And many teams making decisions, sure. Yeah, and stop the celebrations and on goals and looking at everything and the way they're making decisions now and you know you're a fingernail offside and you know they're, they're disallowing goals which is you know it's not clear and obvious error for me and those type of things so I, I don't know how they're ruling them out but it's the way the game's going and you know we're trying to you know I sort of you know when I'm coaching we try to you know encourage the kids to play reasonably tough and get stuck in and not take a backward step and you know but you've got to be mindful that you don't cross the line as well because it's, you know again in youth football you know, the games are definitely officiated, in my opinion, not so much a different way, but there's a lot more control over it. And obviously then you've got the parentals, you know, obviously on the sidelines where they're, you know, for oppositions and that, if there's a big tackle, it's always, you know, they're screaming and carrying on and stuff like that. So referee, young referees who do a great job, um, you know, but they get caught up in, you know, in their decision-making sometimes. So yeah. I'm not saying, not so sure it's gone soft. I just think it's the, the way the game's being... Uh, looked at from an administrative point of view, I think it's um, and the way it's been policed or officiated, I think has has brought about that. You know, and then you look at the curriculum, uh, and people have their own opinions on the curriculum, which is fine. I've got no problems with it either way. Um, but again, it's like how how you coach kids, especially, and you know what's the right way and what's the wrong way. And I think that we need to try and get a bit of a balance of how we coach and different things and I think you know the more 
we have a balance between old school and, and new stuff, I think it'll you know keep the game going forward in the right direction. But if we if we forget about you know yesteryear and the way things were done in the past, I think uh, yeah we I think eventually we'll get to a point where yeah you, it will be soft. Yeah, definitely. So just back to when as you're a coach, um, you ever watched a player just have a brain snap and then absolutely lose your rag at him, and then afterwards going actually I've done that many times as a player. <laughs> There's probably a number of you know another number of obviously opportunities to you know have a crack and, and you know as I said once you calm down and think about it after the after the event and stuff like that whether it's all the you know you're looking back at videos or or just from your own memory and personal experience as a player and a coach yeah I'm sure you know especially in the early days and stuff like that you know when I first started especially coaching senior football um, with that emotional side of the way I was at the time and different things. Yeah, I think I'll probably yeah. a couple of times there. Do you remember the a particular time where you've just gone mad at someone uh, and then remembered start laughing afterwards kind of thing? Probably Verity a couple of times. Obviously, again, bringing up the, the great man himself. Um, you know, I think, um, yeah, he always gives you opportunities, doesn't he? business to um, have a bit of a slide dig at him at different times and stuff. But probably some of the some of the funniest ones was obviously, you know, obviously you had the opportunity to work with uh, Mark James in 2013 when he came and worked in the academy and stuff like that and you know obviously love him to death got a great relationship with him and obviously he was a great mentor for me as well but probably just more as his assistant just watching him work and you know some of the you know I remember one day we're playing I think we're playing like uh, at Lambert and we had a, he brought a player down Scotty Pettit from um, from up abroad met over Newcastle and he actually scored a, a beautiful goal Scotty and the linesman had his flag up early for offside and I remember listening to Jones, he absolutely slaughtered this guy from pillar to post and stuff from the other side of the field. And then we got in a video review on Tuesday night and he was actually onside and the video proved that he was onside. So yeah, Jones had to swallow his pride a little bit and apologise to him in front of the group and that, which to his credit he did. Uh, but it was probably, that was probably one of the funniest ones and stuff like that. But yeah, probably, probably me a couple of times, but I think more Jonesy was obviously been around Jonesy and that. I think, yeah, obviously he was good, obviously working with him, but yeah, good watching him. Hammering a few boys and that at different times, and yeah, we were under a bit of pressure that year as well, as you know. You were playing and different things, chasing results left, right, and centre. And yeah, he was, um, yeah, he probably coached on the edge a little bit that time. And then obviously, we had a couple of other moments, I think, when we went to Marconi, and yeah, the, the change room lost its shape a little bit and stuff after the game with a couple of boys <laughs> and, and different things. So, so yeah, going, right, boys, pack this in a wee lot, don't you mind yeah. this? Bit of character building. Yeah, and Jonesy was actually away that day down at the RS doing some stuff and upgrading his coaching license, and he left me in charge. And that was Jonesy's first experience of leaving me unattended on my own for the first time and stuff like that. So, yeah, reporting that stuff back in after the after the game when it got back to him was quite good as well. But uh, it's all part of the fun and all part of the learning. So, yeah, it was good. Really. So, as a coach, what sort of attributes do you look for in a player? Uh, obviously, there's lots of things. Obviously, you know, probably one of the biggest ones, you know, strong character, good characters. Um, you know, they're the they're the type, good humans. You know, players that you really want to have in your change room that aren't going to affect it too much. You know, I, I like the you know players that have a you know a good uh, work ethic first and foremost. I think that's important. You've got to doesn't matter what what you do in life, whether it's working or sport or, or, or whatever. You need to you need to work hard at whatever you do, whether you're going to uni. You do an apprenticeship. You want to be a professional footballer, a rugby league player, a professional golfer. So it all goes hand in hand, and you get nothing for free. Um, so you know there's some of the big ones uh, that's important. And then obviously you know when you look at you know certain positions, you know I've got you know in my mind sort of 
you know, certain characteristics of each position and we try to try to build, you know, squads around position specific rather than just pick maybe, you know, potentially the best 15 players, especially in senior football, mm-hmm. and that because it doesn't always work. Um, youth football is a little bit different because you're probably trying to get the best players, but again, still looking at, you know, position specific because if a player is a centre back or a right full back or a goalkeeper or a striker, then, you know, you want to give those players the opportunity to develop and, and grow into those positions as they get older and stuff like that. So, you know, if you, if you take that away from them, uh, then I think it's, you know, it, it can be detrimental to their development and their growth as footballers as well. So I yeah. think, yeah, from my point of view, that that sort of thing, the work ethic, you know, the teams, the team mentality rather than the individual mentality. Um, and obviously, you know, where they play, what they can bring to that team under the characteristics that I like for certain positions and stuff like that. And, you know, I've got them and I know what I want and I know what I look for. And, yeah, if the players can, can bring that to the table, then obviously they're a chance to obviously, you know, to work in and around my groups and stuff. Really? So. Uh, do you prefer coaching the youth or seniors? Uh, it poses different um, challenges, obviously. You know, youth to seniors and it's the old adage about, you know, in youth football, development versus winning, uh, winning versus development or a mixture of both. Um, I think you need to, um, you know, develop both and obviously bring it all together because I think winning is important because you want to educate players to win as well as, exactly, you know, yeah. but we want them to be humble. We want them to, you know, be respectful when they do get beat because we understand that they're not going to win every game. Uh, so it's how they react in that little bit of adversity as well, which is part of their development and growth. Mm-hmm. Um, in and around seniors, obviously, it's, you know, generally in senior football, it's a little bit more, obviously, Put around results driven um so that's important whether i prefer you know I, I like that you know i like working in senior football but i like that age group around the you know probably 17 to 20 21 mark i think it's a good group for me you know i don't mind coaching older players and that and i think one day i'll probably fall back into that um but i definitely enjoy uh, both i don't have at the moment one preference over the other yeah in regards to that because it's different challenges at the moment you know, I'm working in the youth with the Marys Academy and I enjoy that. Sort of overseeing the 13s to 16s, have a little bit around, you know, the senior program and obviously talking to people like Monty and Serge and obviously Ken and different things and about trying to push players through and who's doing well. Um, but obviously, yeah, I've had the opportunity to coach senior players before as well and work in senior teams and it just brings a different dynamic to, you know, obviously they're older, yeah. You know, you're, you're dealing with the player more so than the more. Yeah, but you're dealing with the player more than the parent as well. So with yeah, the kids yeah. and that, you've got to be mindful. Obviously, you, you know, you want to have a chat to the kid. Sometimes you've got to bring the parents in as well, which is normal. Um, so it sort of opens up a three-way conversation rather than a two-way conversation, which, mm-hmm. you know, you lose that in youth football a little bit uh, as a rule. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoy that sort of thing and trying to make players better and, and stuff like that. But I just like that direct contact with the player rather than, you know, with that said youth football and that you've actually got to you know, talk to the parents as well at certain times in regards to that, which is fair enough as well, because obviously they, you know, they do all the transporting around, they pay yeah, all the yeah, money and, right. and all that kind of stuff. And as we know, it's not cheap to play football. And, you know, parents want to know what's, you know, how their kids are tracking and, and, and what's going on as well. But yeah, we're slowly, um, yeah, as I said, we've got, you know, we're building some good relationships with the kids at the moment. And, you know, we're obviously, you know, we've just pushed, you know, pretty much a whole age group through into the senior football this year, which is good. and. You know, hopefully, you know those players can you know swing nicely in the in the in the senior space now and see how they go. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good stuff. So you mentioned uh, the 2013 season. We'll go from there onwards. What are some of the best times 
from there, from the CCF, CCMA company, what time, what yeah, time stick out for you? I mean, again, it's, you know, those from, you know, it's been obviously lots of different transitions, obviously with Central Coast football over the years with the rep program, it's been Coasties and Lightning and Central Coast United and Mariners Academy and yep. back to Central Coast football and then Mariners Academy. So it, it's been hard to, you know, understand why things get made or decisions get made around those. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're obviously with the introduction of Central Coast United again now as well, which has been good uh, for the community. Obviously, lots of Central Coast boys playing there, which is obviously that's what they're, you know, that's what they're built around, and it's, which is a great base. And obviously, you know, we'd like all everyone to be, you know, in a perfect world, everyone to get on really well. And, you know, I think things are improving around that, which is great. You know, with the Mariners Academy, you know, I've worked, you know, under the, you know, obviously the Mariners banner, uh, which has been great. It's, you know, a professional outfit. Um, you've got an A-League club in, or A-League team in your, in your back door. Uh, it's, yeah, there's been lots of challenges over the years and stuff like that. And I think we're, you know, we're slowly uh, building, you know, a stronger, football base around in our community mm -hmm. uh, for kids especially to Do you think the standard of players are getting better in the youth uh, it's hard to say I think it's a tough one because I think you'll always produce individually good players uh, because players will just be good players it's just yeah. you know what they do in their own time and stuff like that and you know blokes like yourself who you know come through a football background and stuff like that and there's others as well you know that have just grown and grown up and eat and others have just fallen into it because it's a good game and you know, mum and dad might not necessarily be football people, but their kids have got into it and they've developed themselves as well. So I don't think there's any 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 right or wrong, but you know, the street smart sort of thing on the football field is probably for the kids that have actually been around it since a young age and, and different things. And I think that's probably, you know, where, you know, players really stand out coming through the youth ranks and stuff like that. And then obviously as you get into senior football, you know, I see lots of good players who go through it and I see lots of good players who miss out. And I think it's more about whether you know, there's a number of factors why players don't go all the way through, whether it's in NPL or it's in A-League level or higher again. And, you know, can you deal with the intensity of the next level is probably the biggest one. Um, obviously, depending on who the, you know, the coaches are at the time, you know, coaches like different, you know, have different philosophies and, and a different football mentality to other coaches. So it's like, you know, that, you know, one player who worked for one coach might not work for another coach. So yep. it's, you know, I, I don't think there's any any right or wrong to it. I honestly believe that. I just think it's, you know, coaches come in and, you know, they, they've got a certain way that they want to play and then they want to have players who can fulfil those roles for them and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think the, you know, the standard of, of play, to answer your question, is probably, you know, I think technically players are definitely getting better um, to a degree. Uh, but that, that you know that street smart and that gamesmanship probably not so much and that game awareness yeah, yeah. and stuff like that because for whatever reason again I don't think there's any right or wrong to it but I, I watch players like yourself come through and I could name you know 50 others on the coast that I've seen come through at, the t at different levels and different times and stuff like that and they've just got that that game awareness and that mentality around based on their own experiences growing up in a football household and all that kind of stuff compared to where if you can get groups of players that haven't had that, then it's yeah, it's slightly different. So to say one player is better than another player in this era or that era, it, it, it's probably hard to say. But people will have their own opinions on that, yeah. which is fair. But yeah, I think yeah, the players are you know they're definitely as good anyway and stuff like that. But like you said earlier as well, you know the games played sort of slightly differently as well and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And 
you know, a lot of that physicalness has gone out of the game due to certain reasons and stuff like that, whether it's through the way it's been refereed or officialed. Um, at senior level, obviously, VAR, and those that so players are mindful that, you know, that if things are getting checked in a professional yeah, level not gonna do and it. stuff, you're not going to do it because you're going yeah. to be sent off and stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, not only are you letting your team down in that particular moment, then obviously you're losing, you potentially lose your spot as well. So, it's, yeah, it, it's a tough one, but it's, yeah, and I, I think... Um, yeah, for the most part, people have their own opinions on whether it's better now or better now, better now or better before, yeah. and stuff like that. It just depends what you believe in, really. Yeah. So we'll go to the 2015 year where you were the head coach, right? Um, what sort of stuff sticks out for you from that? You had a good team, mix of youth like myself and a couple of like Walesy, Trent Bahaja and stuff, and then a couple of older guys. What was that experience as a coach? What sticks out? Uh, look, that was a that was a fantastic year. Obviously, coming out of being an assistant in 2013 and 2014, and you know, having the opportunity to coach a senior team again as a head coach and obviously, you know, part of my philosophy and the way we wanted to play and uh, on, on the kids and, you know, like I just said earlier as well, you know, that, you know, the majority of our squad was between the ages of 17 and 20. We went, we made a conscious decision, you know, to go nice and young, had, you know, obviously Ken Chabry had just moved up the coast and, you know, he was a good mentor for me as well and different things and, you know, but we had good players, you had yourself, you know, obviously, who, you know, Alex Abella had come back to the coast and, you know, we had... Trent King and that as well. Yeah, we had Trent Bahaja, obviously he's playing at Sydney FC now, Lockie Wales at Melbourne City, Jake McGing had come and, you know, Josh Bingham, uh, you know, and then we had a couple of senior players like Louis Bazanich, Adam Woodbine, you know, we had Jamba, who's yeah. a, you know, good character around the group and then we gave a couple of younger... Your, your mate Nathan Verity. Yeah, Nathan Besser was great, Liam O'Dell. You know, obviously, you know, we gave lots of players. We brought Tucks up from Sydney as a, you know, goalkeeper. Uh, we had Bayhan still floating around the sort of senior group and stuff like that. So, you know, from that, we, you know, obviously the results of that, we had a fantastic year. We played some amazing football that year. And, you know, you know when people were doubting us, you know, we just kept on winning. It was a credit to you lads and stuff like that. You know, we went, it didn't matter if we went away, we played at home. You know, for the most part, you know, we, I think we could have won the comp that year. You know, we lost a couple of boys back to A-League and, and stuff like that. Well, not lost, but, you know, boys went back to A-League clubs and stuff like that, which obviously left us a little bit light at the back end of the season, uh, which impacted on our overall performance. Obviously, yourself getting injured in the last game of the season and, Got missing, about that and, and, and missing the semi-final and stuff like that as well, which was, um, you know, one of those things. You know, we lost a bit of experience with Matty Crow breaking down at the back end of the season as well. My mate Bears are getting sent off with a minute to go in the last game of the season. Louis Bazanic getting sent off in the final, you know, Woody missing a tap in on the belt to take it extra time and, you know, there was lots of different things in that. But, yeah, obviously, it, it was great working with, with you boys that year and, you know, I think uh, overall, you know, the season as a whole, I think everyone agreed was a success and, you know, the boys that went into A-League after that was, you know, I think it was a credit to, you know, not only obviously myself and that, but the whole playing group because everyone bought into what we're trying to do um, we were able to give players opportunity and, you know, I believe, you know, even till today still, and I tell people when they ask me, you know, I think yourself deserved a little bit of an opportunity to get, you know, to go further. I think Jamba, same thing, had an, you know, deserved an opportunity to go further. Tucks would let the timing goals, you know. Like, we had some players that were, you know, like generally flying at a young age and, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, again... It all comes down to opinion and what, you know, what the head coaches of obviously A-League squads and they were looking for at the time as well. But I think, um, you know, we had a squad that was worthy, you know, to play in NPL1 that year, you know. I, I truly believe that and we worked hard as a group and, you know, our 18s and 20s were really successful as well and our youth program that year did really well. Um, I think we were in five or six grand finals and that and I think, yeah, and we won, 
of six, six in six grand finals, and I think we won five from under 13 yes. or under 12s to first grade. And you know, our 12s and first grade, unfortunately, missed out in the first week of the semis and, and different things. And like I said, with the first team, it was a little bit how you going sort of thing because obviously we lost some players back to A-League clubs at the back end of the season, which as I said, left us very light. And, you know, but obviously the, the you know the flip side to that we got to play Maxi Foster in the semi final and you know Maxi stood up really well and you know there were others that did you know all every time we called on them we did they did really well for the you know for the team and it didn't matter who we brought in they were all yeah you know, we all because we trained so much together and worked so much together the systems worked and you know the philosophies in place were the, the boys knew so we didn't have to work too hard when when young players came in whether it was at the first game or the last game for their opportunity. Mm. So yeah, as you mentioned, great year. Um, a lot of us boys still look on it pretty fondly, as you can imagine. Um, as you mentioned, me getting injured, cracking story about that one. Um, Fraser Park match of the round, so it was getting filmed. And then um, there's a video of it on YouTube, actually, if you type it in. Vicious volley from the edge of the box, whizzes past Alex Arbelli's head and just clocks me straight to the temple, flush, unconscious. Physio runs on everything, I'm still out and everything, right? And then the video, it's like me getting wheeled off into the ambulance, like still unconscious into the wheel, so pretty bad. Apparently, it was quite like scary to look at and everything, right? Very nasty. <laughs> so, so watch it after the game, and then like they've showed like the match highlights and they've cut like the play, like, the coach interviews. And then the football New South Wales guy's holding the mic up to you. <laughs> and then I can't stop laughing about it. He's like. So Peter, I think we, I think we we're two two all or something, and then we ended up getting pumped like five two or something. Yeah, not that, yeah, not that. And then um, so you got your guys like, so Peter, bit of a tough afternoon for you, but uh, just like to ask how Daniel McFarlane is, and then you've gone, yeah, you know, yeah, it was a bit of a sore one. And then as you've said that, like they've cut to me getting wheeled off in the end, it's unconscious. Yeah, a bit of a sore one. Be nothing. Yeah, he'd be right. We'll wheel him up for next week. <laughs> <laughs> and then like this just cut the way I don't think I'm making next week. Couldn't drive for like three weeks and you were trying to wheel me up for next week. <laughs> I was in a good coach try so with his one of his better players and stronger players at the time who was coming along nicely and stuff. You obviously you know, obviously you don't wish injury on anyone and stuff like that, but we're yeah, trying to stay positive and yeah, as a coach you sort of you know, you sort of still got a job to do and try and manage, but obviously one you know, on one hand you're trying to look after the team and on the other hand you're thinking about yourself and you know, how nasty the injury is and stuff like that and you know, obviously you're in great hands with the ambulance and the medical staff and, and different things. And obviously my assistant Swallow at the time and stuff, he stayed out with you from memory. And while we went and looked after the half time stuff and I remember coming back out the second half and I said to Swallow, how is he? And he said, no, nah, he's no good, Pete, he's no good. And I went, yeah, but how bad, Swallow, how bad? <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, he's no good, mate, he's no good. I said, what do you mean, what's no good? He goes, no, he's no good, he's still unconscious. And I went, oh, okay, no drama. I said, if you're right for next week, he said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah, we, even, you know, we, we, we were already had a, you know we're in the semi-finals and you know we had a, we had an eye on, on you know on the on the first week of the semis we knew we were going to finish fourth and who we were playing the week after which obviously banks down and different things and they were a strong side and had players like Dean Heffernan and Michael Beecher, ex A League boys in that plane and you know a number of other players so we knew it was going to be tough so to obviously to lose yourself um, you know obviously it was, a, it was a bit of a loss and then obviously like I said earlier as well Vezza getting sent off late in the game and yeah. him being out and then you know Matty Crow. Uh, one of our senior players obviously, you know, broke down with a groin injury as well and, and different things in that game, came off at about 15 to go and, yeah, he never quite got himself up for the for the semi-final as well. But, you know, overall it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a tough day at Fraser Park that yeah. day. And That's the thing, like, so many stuff, like, stick out from that, like, that season. There's the amount of stories that we still talk about when we meet up and I remember saying to Wales, the lucky Wales, we are playing, um, Bankstown Berries and you got the Crest, like horrible place to go and play, right? <laughs> we've, got, we've actually done all right in the first half, I think it was nil all the half time. 
And then, like, the, Wales, he was playing right wing, and their left back was an absolute machine. Like, winning everything in the air, tackling him every time. Like, Wales, he just could not get past him. And we're just like, all right, this guy's a monster. So we're trying to feed it out to the other side, right? And then every time we go back to their left back, he's just monster and lucky, right? So, <laughs> so we've got it at half time. Oh, we need to stop giving it to Wales. And then, and then like, get him on the other side or whatever, right? And then you've come in and just tore strips off him, like... One of the funniest things I've ever seen. He's like, if that left back isn't the worst player in the competition, I'd like to see who he is. <laughs> and we're like, oh, and then like I've kind of like forgot about. Like, oh, it must be the other guy I'm thinking of. And, goes, and then I think someone's like, which one's that show? And you're like, the left back, the big boy. He, he turns like a truck. He can't tackle. He can't pass. Everything. He's rubbish. And we're all like, oh, okay, must be rubbish. And we've gone back out. And I think I've said to like Mickey, I was like, which one is it? He goes. The guy is the best player. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just like, would you say that just to wind up Lockie or were you just like... Yeah, just pretty much. Just trying to get him for confidence to try and play a bit. And obviously, you know, sometimes it works with Lockie and, you know, for people that know Lockie well like we do. Um, yeah, sometimes that type of stuff works and give him a bit of confidence where he can get his feet going and stuff. And yeah, just trying to... Or yeah, maybe just to take him past the worst player in the week. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that, so... But it's about coming up with different, you know, different solutions. You know, checking back off the ball to get out your feet and then run at him. You know, run, make forward runs in behind him and try and turn him around a little bit. And but like you said, it's a it's a real tough place to go. And you know, obviously that was just a change room moment that you sort of, you know, trying to build it up a little bit and stuff like that. But yeah, generally it's a real like yeah, and, you know, most of the you know MPL one, MPL two boys and stuff like that, whether they're coming first or last, they're they're, they're quite strong and across the board. And you know, they might have a few weak spots at different play, you know, different times, but. You know, generally on any given day, those boys can play and, yeah, it's just, yeah, one of those ones you try to work a little bit with different players at different times and, yeah, oh, I don't think it worked. I think we end up getting beat anyway, didn't we? Yeah, I don't think <laughs> it's a pretty tough place to go. We've yeah, been yeah, out there for a long time now and I think last year was probably our first time we ever won there, so. Yeah, right. Good times. Brilliant. So, what are you up to now for those listening? What does Peter Preston do now? Yeah, like I said, obviously, you know, work full-time, obviously managing a family and that, but from a football point of view and stuff, yeah, just working with the Marriage Academy still. So, uh, you know, fancy title, but, yeah, run the youth, head of game training, TD of 13s and 16s with the academy. Uh, actually coaching the uh, 16s at the moment and obviously doing a fair bit with the younger age groups as well. So, you know, trying to trying to part my ways and my philosophy on the on the whole group and you know we've got you know some coaches that come in we've obviously you know Burns and Nathan Burns in and around the program Cole Johnson we've just you know he, he'll be working as a coach in our program this year as well and we've just actually signed a um, there's a young guy that's moved to the Central Coast who's interested in getting involved in football and stuff and he's football background South American kid um, who looks like he's going to come on board in some capacity as well so yeah trying to build a build a team, you know, a coaching staff around how we want to play and what we want to try and achieve. Obviously the Mariners have, you know, as a club have, um, you know, given me, you know, a bit of a brief on what they're looking for this year and what they want out of the teams and the players. And obviously, the, you know, we're in a promotion and relegation league. Football New South Wales have changed the, the concept slightly of the way they're running the leagues and they're going to go back to the traditional MPL 1, 2, 3 and 4. So, you know, we, we're under no illusions that it's going to be tough and you know where we want to be for 2000 or the second half of 2020 and then obviously moving into 2021 um you know it's important along with yourselves at central coast united that you know continue to produce players and have teams playing at the highest level we can mm-hmm. so you know i think it's important that our teams are in mpl1 youth um you know moving forward so it's you know to the first 11 games of the season this year will be uh 
you know, they'll be pretty intense. Everyone, you know, results will, you know, mean a lot more going forward, as I said, in those first 11 weeks to ensure that you're in the top six of your group to, you yeah. know, make sure we're in MPL1 because obviously that's where we'll start it, you know, the round two in MPL1 if we're, you know, successful and we do well. And then obviously 2021 is where you, where you start that year as well. So, you know, obviously for us to be in MPL2, um, potentially could have an impact on our on our club and our area in regards to players, whether they stay or leave. So it, you know we'll be, you know we'll have a clear focus on or we have a clear focus on where we want to go, um, and obviously that's my role to to enforce that and, and and drive that and ensure you know that we're you know at the top of our game week in week out and getting the best out of our players to ensure that yeah we make that top six in our group to make sure we're in MPL one for the second half of the year and. You know, then obviously pushing toward other things later on. So, but if we, you know, if we do drop back a level and for a year or so, then you know, probably not the end of the world. But it's just probably not 100% ideal for our area and yeah. stuff. And obviously, if Central Coast United along the way have a good year as well in their in, in, in their tier group and stuff, and then can end up in the highest level that their group can. And obviously, it's it, you know, all goes well for the future for our area and stuff like that because we're producing more players at a higher level and it gives more players an opportunity to come through. You know, both systems, which is good. So. Yeah, good stuff. All right, mate, I'll let you go. Thank you very much for joining me. Absolute legend. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Dan. That was Getting Stuck In with Peter Preston. Stay tuned for the next one. Cheers.